Original content. content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. Synonyms of the word change. Alter. Make different. Become different. Adjust. And every day, we evolve. We adapt. We change. And this is where we talk about it. This is The Clay Young Show. Here we are again. Episode 252 of The Clay Young Show here at Podcast225.com, the Apple Podcast app, the iHeartMedia app, and of course on the Talk 107.3 radio station airing on weekends. We appreciate them for that. So how are you? Are you ready for the political season? Because ready or not, here it comes. Today, we're going to be talking with someone who's running for office, first locally here. He is Lamont Cole. He represents Metro Council District 7 in East Baton Rouge Parish and the city of Baton Rouge. He was appointed in January of 2016 and won a full term in November of that same year. Cole is running for re-election. He is an educator as well and will be here to talk about why he thinks he should be re-elected and comment on some of the recent news concerning his candidacy. We'll ask him about that as he joins us by way of phone. Speaking of these political races and things that are going on, I want to begin by thanking the crowd at the Rotary on Jones Creek Road in Baton Rouge, the Jones Creek Rotary, for inviting me to speak to them about some of the political stuff going on. I spoke with them yesterday, as I sit to record this, about what's coming up this fall, some of the numbers, statistics, things that I see happening in terms of trends, and I stayed away from one side or the other, just kind of kept it down the middle analytically as it relates to what the numbers say about this fall. We engaged in a pretty lively and and wonderful, I thought, question and answer period after I gave my presentation. So it was fun. I had to get in and do that and then get right out and get on to the next thing as these days are largely packed. You know, for a lot of people this year, you're having to do it twice as fast and twice as much to keep up with the impact of COVID-19 and all that that has meant for our society. Speaking of which... Schools and places have opened again, and a lot of schools have gone virtual and kids are doing classes online from home or on their tablets from wherever, and then some schools have brought kids back. And there's a big debate over whether or not kids should be back in school. It's an interesting thing to debate, and people are debating it. And I think parents, if you were to poll most parents, at least ones that I've spoken with, they're not interested in their kids being back in the environment where they could catch the virus. Now, for a lot of people, a return to school and the kids being back in school is a symbol of the normalcy that we're all craving to get back to and and really a post-COVID normalcy because this thing isn't going anywhere. But, I mean, that, that's been a subject for debate. So kids are back in school, colleges and everything happening with colleges. A lot of kids are going to be, our students are going to be doing their college online. So, I mean, it's, it's different and we're all trying to adjust. Here in Louisiana, the governor has extended 
the phase two prescription that we all are dealing with here, which prohibits bars from opening and some 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 businesses from operating certain kind of, of alcohol businesses. And I mean, there has been a backlash backlash in that there are some businesses, some bars that have just said, screw it. And they've opened. Some have had their, and I've read stories about people who've actually had their operators permit pulled and some of the licensing pulled, and they're still they're still open. And let me tell you something: from the governor's standpoint, he's he thinks what he's doing is in the best interest of trying to curb the numbers. But on the other side of this, for some of these businesses, and it may be a an unpopular position to take, but I get it. I get why they want to be open. I mean, when you work hard to build something and, you know, some people say, think about everybody else, think about society. And I get that. I understand. I don't say I don't think you're wrong for feeling that way, but I get it. I don't know what I would do if I were in that situation. I would I would hope to be able to say that you could sustain it. That you could sustain six months or whatever it's been of of the absence of the expected profit and revenue that you came into the year looking at. But man, it's hard to say what someone should do when you are not in their position and you don't have to suffer their losses. And I just I hope we can. Now, the mask thing, look, whether you agree or disagree with the whole mask thing, my position is wear your mask. Put it on. If you're going to go into a store, they require a mask. What's the big deal? Wear the mask. Wear the mask. It isn't it, it isn't a sign of your independence to say I'm not going to wear a mask. And on the other side of it, you people who think COVID is a hoax. I mean, all of us know someone who has died or know someone who's connected to someone who's died from this virus. Now, we can debate the numbers and percentages and some of those things cannot debate the fact that it has taken people out in this year. But that's the nature of where we are in politics now. It really, really is. And we'll spend some time at some point talking about the national stuff, but we're going to have a few local interviews. If you are interested in coming on the show and being on the list, because I don't have to do equal time because this the podcasts aren't regulated by the FCC. I can talk to whomever I want or not talk to whomever I want, but I will give people an opportunity. And this is the specific way to make a request. Email me at clay at clay let's try that one more time email me the email address is clay at podcast 225.com clay at podcast 225.com let's kick it off with lamont cole coronavirus it's changing as you and i speak right now yeah when the world changes there's one place the capital region comes for answers. We have increased stress and the closure of schools. Podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. Answers to your COVID-19 questions. That's pretty much how most viral illnesses act. From the people at the top. Truly an invisible enemy that we're uh, fighting here. The world is changing. Are you ready? Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. So, John, people are complaining all over Louisiana about these fruit flies, gnats, whatever you want to call them, in their homes. They are a nuisance, but you can help people with that. We really can. You know, most people forget the step of treating where they're breeding. Okay, okay. You, know, you can kill flies all day long or step on gnats or what have you, but right. until you stop that life cycle, it's going to be a continuous battle. Now, I have been in your store and have purchased 
what you need to kill them, and it works. What do people need? You need a product to treat the drains. Okay. And that's something you have to do every night for like five days. Okay. In order to make sure you're breaking that life cycle. And okay. then we give you the traps to kill the adults. And folks, believe me, it works. So, John, in the Baton Rouge area, where can I get it? Well, the Baton Rouge store is located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or if you have questions, just give us a call at 273-4788 because we can really help you with that. It's a fact. They helped me, and they can certainly help you at Pestock on O'Neill Lane. The most important issues facing our state and our region. The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Lamont Cole, candidate for Metro Council District 70. He is the incumbent, in fact, and is running for re-election Cole, you are the first interview about these elections that I have had so far this year. I'm not going to do that many, but you're first up on deck. Hey, man. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you today on your show. It's been a while since we've done this. Probably I know it, about four years. It's, it's, it's been. And, uh, I'm yeah. just excited to be here. And if I'm the first, <laughs> I'm going to try to be a hard ass follow. <laughs> All right. All right, so so I, I you know I want to talk about the election and then but there's recent news that I want to get give you a chance to address here and, and talk about it. Uh, there was recently a court finding that 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 said that you had standing to run because you are a resident of District Seven, and in in the proceedings you talked about the two homes and the situation with your wife that I have that's not my business or anybody else's for that matter. But I kind of want you to speak to that where this came from, and then give people, uh, I guess, uh, an example or, or an answer in your own words about this. Well, definitely. You know, I, I assume I can't put my finger on where it came from specifically. Of course, I, I think it came from some of the opposition. Of course, as you may or may not know, there are uh, five people who have qualified to run for the position of Metro Council serving District 7. Correct. And, you know, I welcome the competition. I welcome, uh, you know, individuals who feel they uh, may be able to do a better job than I've done in the the four years. Uh, You know, and and I'm not concerned about whether or not they live in the district or they paid their taxes. None of that concerns me as much as making sure that people are aware of who we are, what our plans are, what we've done to serve the community, and whether or not they feel one of us is the right choice to continue to serve this community. And I believe I'm the right choice, and I'm prepared to move forward. So as far as the challenge is concerned, I was disappointed. Uh, politics, I've always been told, is a dirty game. And so I was disappointed because I try to be the type of individual who leads by example, who sets a certain standard of excellence, and I try to live up to that. And so in my own personal life, of course, you you and, the, and your listening audience, those who are adults, may understand things happen between adults sometimes. And, you know, my grandmother used to say your teeth and your tongue will fall out sometimes. So you know two <laughs> adults who have different ideas and thoughts about how things should be done may at times have some disagreements that may lead to having to make some tough decisions. And that is the situation that I have found myself in uh, with my wife. And that, that, let me be very clear. I love my wife plan to stay married to her, plan to be with her until death do us part. But ultimately, sometimes you have to make decisions that are best for the marriage, that are best for the relationship, and more importantly, that are best for the children the two of you are trying to raise. And we've made a commitment to our children that we're going to raise them together, but together may look different for different households. And for me, I have a house 
uh, in District 7 that I live in. My wife and I lived in a house in District 7 when I ran for office the first time. We made some decisions. I chose to move to another house in District 7. She then chose to move to another house outside of District 7, which is her right. She does not have an obligation to live in District 7, but I do. And so I still live in District 7. I still reside in District 7. I think there was some erroneous information that was provided to individuals that I perhaps may live outside of District 7 because my wife does, and I visit my children on a regular basis. I'm going to be a father in their life. I'm going to raise those two young people. I'm going to make sure they know who I am. I'm going to be there for them to help with homework, to help them manage some of the situations they may encounter as they grow up. I'm going to be a father in the life of my children, and my wife and I have agreed that we're going to be parents in the lives of our children. And so, again, I say all that to say I'm not sure why people would choose to challenge me based on a very personal matter, but they did. And uh, fortunately for me, a judge uh, favored and ruled in my favor and found that I am a resident. I vote in the district. I live in the district. Uh, I reside there. You know, I know my neighbors. I didn't talk about that very much in court because I wanted to protect them as much as possible. I think oftentimes when we get into these court proceedings and questions are being asked of a personal nature about other individuals when in fact the petition and the, the, the court or the filing is against one individual and then you're asked about other individuals, I think it's unfair. So I thought it was best of me to try to protect those other individuals as much as possible being that the objection was filed against me. And so again, we're going to move forward. We're not going to concern ourselves with other people and what they may or may not be doing. We're going to run this race. We're going to campaign on the issues, and we're going to try and convince and work with the people to ensure that I'm elected again on November 3rd. And so that's where we are. That's our focus. And, you know, that's as much as I'd like to say yeah. about that particular situation. Well, and and it's it's the lawsuit thing is, is beginning to be trendy in politics on every level right now. And that is concerning to me because of all of the other stuff that it creates. You know, and it's unfortunate. It, 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 it's, un, it's unfortunate uh, these types of situations have started to become normal in politics. Listen, there are a whole host of individuals out here who are engaged in the political process. I think we should be proud of that. Yep. So much so, they want an opportunity to serve in the capacity of an elected official, and they want to serve the community. I think we should be proud of that. I think the days of people waiting their turn, I think the days of people sitting by and allowing individuals they're not pleased with to serve in that capacity are over with. And again, I have no issues with those individuals who choose to run for a seat. I would ask that you do it fairly and campaign on the issues. Don't play dirty. Don't try to have someone disqualified because you don't like them or perhaps you don't feel like you want to run uh, or you want to campaign. Listen. This is what we do in order to earn the trust and to earn the vote of the people. And if you want to do this work, I think you should do it the right way. Campaign, go door to door, knock on doors. I know we are in a COVID environment, so we have to be creative about how we campaign. But I just think all the negativity around politics, it's time for someone to stand up and, and choose to do it a different way. And in hopes that other people will say, you know what, that's the way I want to do it, too. Let's just go toe-to-toe, head-to-head, campaign on the issues and do our best. I hate that it's gotten to a point of being so negative. 
You said earlier that you, you wanted it, th- this to be about the issues. What are the issues in District 7 specifically and in East Baton Rouge Parish in general? Well, let me start with District 7. I think people should know District 7 is a very diverse district. You know, it is 70% uh, people of color, and that's a various di- a variation, and then right. uh, 30% white. And on one side of the district, on the south southeastern side of the district, there are people with median household incomes of about 600000 a year plus. Mm-hmm. And then on the north side of the district, there are people with median household incomes of 20000 and less. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's on one side, it's an extremely poor and impoverished district. On the other side, it's an extremely wealthy district. And so you have to try to manage uh, the concerns of the residents who live in the entire populace of District 7. Now, when we start to talk about some of the major concerns, I'll start on the north side of the district where there's high crime, there is poverty, there's minimal access to health care, entertainment, uh, shopping, uh Food deserts exist throughout District 7 on the north side of the area. And so, therefore, I think those are a great deal of issues, a lot of blight in the community. Although we've addressed a lot of blight, there still exists a lot of blight in the community. And so, you know, a lot of crime in certain areas of 70805, 70802. And so we have to work to address some of those issues. And when we talk about the south side of the district, of course, you know, we still want to see the infrastructure change. You know, we recognize that we don't have a lot of bike trails. We don't have, uh, we got a lot of traffic in District 7 on some of the major thoroughfares. You know, sometimes there are issues with uh, stealing and petty theft happening in the, in the areas in some of the neighborhoods in District 7. And so there are a great deal of issues that we have to address, but I have to address. But if I put it in a global perspective around the district, we're talking about access to health care, access to uh, quality food and groceries and vegetables and fruit and vegetables, access to a good education. Blight is an issue. Economic development is an issue. Uh, improved infrastructure is an issue. And so we have to think about all of those things around the district in order to make it a more uh, acceptable and safe district for everyone to live in. Listen, the people who live on the north side of District 7 want the exact same thing as the people who live on the south side. We have to right. figure out a way to provide that for them. Uh, now, when we talk about the city of Baton Rouge, we have issues with drainage, we have issues with traffic, we have issues with attracting uh, top-tier and Fortune 500 companies to come here. Uh, we need to diversify some of the businesses that are able to come here and provide jobs for our residents. We do have an issue. While we have seen a decrease in violent crime, domestic violence, and uh, homicides over the last two years, in this COVID environment, we have seen an uptick in all three of those issues. And so we have to think about ways uh, to address crime and be more crime preventative instead of crime reactive. And so those are some of the bigger issues that are facing our community. We recognize there is a pullout uh, that is happening, and that's going to take money from the city. And so we got to think about those services that we're providing for our residents in terms of water and sewage, uh, trash pickup, maintenance, keeping our city clean. So there are a whole host of issues that are facing uh, District 7 and this city parish and large. There is some discussion about uh, law enforcement consolidation in terms of how it might be able to save yeah. uh, the, the, the parish money. What's so there are a whole host that? of issues that are on the table, and we got to think about how we address them all. What's your position on that? Because that, that's been around that conversation for a while, the law enforcement consolidation. Well, I think this. I think we need to do a, a, a firm, deep dive analysis of 
cost savings first. Let's look at how that's going to save the city parish money and if, in fact, the consolidation that way provides the right type of law enforcement services that the residents and the constituents of our great city, citizens of our great city, want and need. I think the second thing we have to think about the differences between the sheriff's department and uh, the Baton Rouge Police Department and civil service protection for BRPD and the sheriff's department not having civil service protection, those being at-will employees. So I think we have to look at all that. I think the most important thing we have to think about as we consider consolidation of law enforcement, will that provide uh, pay in a way that makes our law enforcement agency here in the city of Baton Rouge, Paris of East Baton Rouge, the highest paid law enforcement agency in the state? There you go. I think if we want to see, if we want to see a better product in terms of the officers on the street providing services for our community, we have to do something to attract better. If you want better, you have to attract better. Uh, many of the individuals who uh, are officers, and listen, let me be very clear. The majority of the men and women who are out here risking their lives to provide services to our community through law enforcement are really good men and women. But we don't have enough of those men and women who are standing up saying to the men and women who choose to do this job the incorrect way that they need to go. Some of that is because we don't have enough men and women who choose law enforcement as a profession because Law enforcement, particularly in the city of Baton Rouge, doesn't pay the way it should, and so we have to think about we have to think about uh, what we can do to make those changes. So I think we need to do a deep dive, look at pay, look at civil service protections, look at at will employment, look at how we consolidate and make sure everyone in our city parish receives services. I think we have to look at those municipalities that are around us, like Baker, like Central, like Zachary, and and think about. Uh, what services does our sheriff's department provide to them at what rate? How are those things going to be impacted? How are those things going to have to change if, in fact, we consolidate those? So I think we need to have some working sessions, not only with the Metro Council and leadership in the city, but also with residents and uh, citizens in the city, a series of community meetings to talk about what that looks like and, and, and how it's going to impact the city parish. So yeah. I am open there's a lot of research out there about it I've been reading, but I'd still like to see how we would do it in East Parish Parish. You know, you mentioned businesses and economic development is important, especially where we are in this post-COVID reality. How do you attract people to our city? Because the brand has taken a ding over the last decade. How do you get businesses medium-sized, larger companies to say, hey, I want to move to Louisiana's capital city? I think the first thing we have to do is tell our own story, identify what's good about our city parish, identify those things that we recognize people enjoy who live here, and then create a narrative around those things we enjoy from the simple things like food to the more uh, diverse things like our culture and the festival seasons we have here in our city, and then think about uh, how do we tell that story? How do we tell the story of... East Baton Rouge Parish and the city of Baton Rouge in a way that makes it attractive. I think one of the things we think about some of the larger cities, some of the more attractive cities have an airport that has straight flights to some of the major cities in the country. So we got to start looking at how do we create an airport system that is going to provide straight flights to various different areas uh, in this city, I mean, around this country. 
domestic flights as well as international flights. I think that's one of the things we have to think about. That is not something we talk about a great deal, Clay, but I think when you look at some of the more attractive cities, successful cities where Fortune 500 companies uh, want to set up shop, where tech companies want to set up shop, where companies like Amazon want to set up shop, Google want to go and set up shop, eBay want to go and set up shop, and we do have an uh, uh, we do have a Amazon factory coming here, eBay has set up here. But when you look at cities who have big companies, small tech companies, and who have thriving economies, they have an airport system that has flights that uh, are straight flights to some of the major cities and major hubs in uh, this country, and so. Also, they may have international flights that leave uh, those cities. So I think we have to think about cities like Atlanta, like Dallas, like uh, Washington, D.C., and other places around the country that are high to- have high tourist uh, visits and then think about what do we do to, to make that more attractive here. We look at this diverse culture we have. Yeah. How do we champion the culture? How do we celebrate the culture? How do we tell a story that attracts people to want and come and experience the culture here? I think the other thing we have to do is look at some of the, you know, we have one of the oldest historically black colleges and universities right here, Southern University system right here in our city. And on the other side of town, we have Louisiana State University. Let me say this, the 2019 championship, national championship (laughs) football winning Louisiana State University. And I have a degree from both universities. Wonderful experiences at both. And I think we have to champion that. We don't talk about what this city is like during football season and how wonderful it is to live here during that six months of the year. So we have to make sure we make all of those things attractive for individuals who may want to come live here. I think also, Clay, we got to look at our downtown riverfront area and we have to make that more attractive for visitors who want to come here. That should be a huge attraction to people when they visit Baton Rouge, going to that riverfront area. We ought to think about diversifying some of the activities that take place on the riverfront area, you know, boat rides and different activities, bands playing, outside entertainment, music. We know, you know, after the fall is the weather here is wonderful in the fall. Yep. Uh, right after September, we got to start telling our own story to attract people who want to live here. One of the things we have to do, Clay, and this is a conversation that we have to have more. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about our public education system. Yes. Cities that are thriving have outstanding public education systems. Yes. What do we need to do to create a world-class public education system here where families, when they move here, they say, the one great thing we know about Baton Rouge there's a world-class public education system, and I feel good being able to go there and my child attending any one of the schools in any other neighborhoods I choose to live in. And so I think those are a whole host of things we have to think well, about, and there are more ideas yeah, but, but let me th- uh, that let me th- I have and other people have. Let me throw this at you and, and where you, where th- with what you say about education, which I agree. And for those of you who don't know, Lamont Cole is principal at CSAL, the Community School for Apprenticeship Learning. He's been there since 2011, almost 10 years. And you're qualified to speak on these matters. Why don't we see more involvement from the city parish standpoint? Now, granted, the education system here and, and the council and the mayor's office are two separate entities of government. However, when you sit on the executive committee of our parish, you, you should have a right to have say-so over what happens with schools here. Why don't we see more of that from the city's perspective? 
Well, I think you said it. It's because they're separate operations, and I don't think uh, we've done a, a, a good enough uh, effort or a good enough job of forcing those conversations between the two bodies. I think we have a school board and we have a metro council who operate in silo in terms of the work we have to do for our respective entities. I think we need to do more collaboration and work together to begin to talk about what it is we want to see. Listen, we've not sat down as a, a metro council and a school board and talk about what is it we'd like to see for every child who graduates from a high school in the city, no matter what the school is, whether it's public, private, parochial, charter. What is it we want to see from every child when he or she graduates from high school, and what is it that we want them to be able to do when they graduate from high school? We've not had that discussion, because I think if we begin to have that discussion as a Metro Council and school board, and then we begin to have it collectively with our universities, whether it be BRCC, Southern University, and, and Louisiana State University, and we talk about what does the high school student need to look like entering into college or entering into our workforce, right? So we bring in the chamber, which is the largest chamber in the south region, southern region, and we begin to have those conversations. Because I think if we have the conversation with the end in mind and we start with what do we want to see for a child when he or she graduates from high school, what course offerings do we want to provide for that child? What do we want that child to be able to do, that young adult to be able to do? If we start with graduation and we work backwards, what we're going to find, Clay, is that we have to invest a great deal of our resources into early childhood education because the research and the statistics show us that when a child has been educated at an early age, he or she is more prone to graduate on time and enter into the workforce or enter into postgraduate education more prepared with a skill that is going to help them be successful and productive as a citizen in this world. Yeah. And so I think we have to have those conversations. we got to force them. Yeah. And, and oftentimes we wait for leadership to force the conversations, but sometimes we just have to grab the bull by the horns and do it ourselves and start in small groups and hope those groups can grow. I mean, yeah. Clay, maybe that's something you and I can work on together, but we begin to just have conversations about education with I'm one with agenda it. in mind. I'm with it. Creating creating the best student product we can coming out of the city of Baton Rouge because we want to see our students. I would love if our students remained here, chose LSU and Southern. We recognize some of them will, some of them will not. But when they go off to other places and they compete, we want them to make a mark in this world. We want to make a mark at the universities or the workforce, or even if they choose to go into our uh, armed services we want them to make a mark we want people around the world to say the young people who visit us from louisiana all of them no matter where they went to school yeah. they come to us with a certain set of skills and ability that we can appreciate and we like yeah. we should be the center of research and development for the whole entire world and i believe we can do that we just have to force those conversations and get to work you know, you, I, I, I agree with everything you said, and I'm always willing to help, especially as it relates to young people. The volume level in politics has been so high for the last 10 years from Washington on down, and it runs people away from the discussion because I believe and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Most people see a freak show and they want to go the other way. 
And I think exactly. that the dialogue is important because we have communities here who are hurting and who need the help and the resources and the work. Who, and, and, and we also need to look at the future and ask, how are we going to compete with cities our size in 10, 15 years if we're losing our margin as it relates to business and education? So what do we do to bring the volume down to where even if you disagree, you could do it at a level that doesn't look like a train wreck? I think we got to start with the things we have in common, Clay. I mean, you know, when we start talking about, and not to get too philosophical, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we know we all yeah. need the same thing in yep. terms of food, shelter, clothing, right? And then we begin to talk about the things we appreciate and we have in common. So, for instance, you know, all of us love football season. All of us love the food and the culture we have here in our city. And there are things we have in common. We want to be safe. We want to be able to live in our neighborhoods uh, free of fear of crime. We want to be able to live in our neighborhoods uh, and, and have a, a good quality school near where we live so our children can walk to their neighborhood school and feel good about the education they're receiving. I think we start with those things we have in common. There are, there are, there are a great deal of things we have in common, no matter our race, uh, religion, sexual orientation, no matter what it is, there are a great deal of things we have more in common than we have in uncommon. However, negativity is attractive mm -hmm. you know a train wreck is attractive a car accident is attractive that's why people stop and look when they see something negative but we have to shift that conversation and talk about the positive things that we have in common and then keep our focus right there and when someone chooses to come into that space with negativity we have to be in alignment saying that's not what we're here for and we collectively are going to ask you not to be a part of this if you can't bring anything positive to the conversation. I think one of the worst things that I've seen happen over the last 10 years, and you talked about it, negativity has become extremely popular, mm -hmm. shockingly popular. Yep. The person who can say the, the, the most negative thing that borders on disrespectful and sometimes is disrespectful is the person who becomes the most popular, it, right? It drives me crazy. It drives me right. crazy the way that people can just rip each other to shreds Especially because social media is the tool of choice because half the people oh who God. say some of the things they say would never say it if they were in a room with you. And I'm thinking, man, is this where we are now? Right, right. Just, it is <laughs> amazingly unfortunate how we have allowed, and I say we, Clay, because it's all of it's us. It's all of us, right. How we have allowed negativity to become the posture of choice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost as if we're afraid in an environment where we see so much negativity to be positive, you know? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there are challenges, but I think if we approach those challenges from a perspective of solution and being solution-driven, being positive in our interactions, instead of pointing fingers at the person across from us, point the finger at the person in the mirror and ask yourself, <laughs> what is it I can do to make it? make this a better place for myself, my family, and the people around me. What wow. can I do? Listen, many of the challenges we're facing in, the, in this community, many of the challenges we're facing in this country have always existed. We have to be courageous enough to, to face those challenges head on, have the difficult discussions, right. and make decisions that we recognize are going to be best for all of us. Now, that's hard to do, Clay, because we have different ideas about uh, what might be best. However, I think when you start to ask someone, what is it that you want? Those responses are going to be very similar, right? 
Yeah. If I ask you, what do you want for your life? What do you want for your family? What do you want for your children? And someone was to ask me the same question and we not even be in the same room. I bet when you looked at the answer, they would be extremely similar, right? Right. Extremely similar. And then when we start to think about what it is we all want, we have to craft a plan for our entire city parish that includes education, access to health care, access to food, access to entertainment, access to uh, positive community interactions with each other. And then we have to be committed to making those things happen, no matter what. Right. They're going to be, you know, we have different personality quirks. Some people are different. But if we can stay committed and keep that out front, what do we all want for each other, for our families, for our children? Once we decide what those things are and we realize we have more in common than we have uncommon, then we're going to say, you know what? This needs to be the plan of this parish. This needs to be the plan for every aspect, every overarching theme of this entire city. I want to live in a clean community, right? And so I know you do and everybody does. Sometimes where we get confused, we get confused on whose responsibility is it to make sure our community stay clean. I mean, you and I last year did some neighborhood cleanup, right. right? That's right. And so I think we have to think about, you know, most residents want to live in clean communities, but then we have to have a very difficult conversation about whose responsibility is it to keep the community clean. If you live there, it's your responsibility to help keep your community clean. And so we're asking you to keep the area where you live clean. And so if you, if every individual were to take responsibility for the individual space, domain, area, and acre where they live, we'd begin to see uh, an an increased activity around keeping our communities clean. Take responsibility. If you see something wrong, fix it if you can. You see paper on the ground, pick it up. Some might say, well, that ain't my responsibility. It is your responsibility if you live in the city and you want to see the city clean. You know, picking the phone up and calling, saying somebody else should come do it. I mean, my neighbor right now on North 39th Street, he cuts my front yard every time he cuts his grass. I do the same for him. And the reason why we do that is because we want to keep the area right around where we live clean. Right. We want it to look a certain way. And it doesn't take me but six or seven minutes to do that for him, and it doesn't take him but six or seven minutes to do that for me. We're neighbors. We take care of each other. And so I think what we have to do and what we have to think about is how do we put our priorities out front that are the same and just, and just work towards that. Let's just work towards that. And when we identify and see that there are differences, let's talk about why there are differences and why certain cultures or people and certain people in different neighborhoods tend to want to do things that you might find different than what you like to do. Right. And let's have those conversations. And then I think if we can sit down and have those conversations with, you know, similar priorities out front, and then we uh, really seek to listen to understand differences, I think we'll have a better city in Paris, and I think we can have a better country. But I think right now most people are looking for the attention. Yeah. Social media gives a lot of people attention, and most people get a lot of attention for the negativity. (laughs) Whether that attention is good or bad, they get the attention. We're so attention-hungry in our community, in our society, it's unreal. It's unreal. If I put... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I agree with you. Go ahead. I was about to say, if I put a positive post out there that says, hey, I hope everyone has an amazingly awesome day today. Do good. Do well. 
be the best you can be. See someone you don't know. Meet somebody new today. That's not going to get as much attention as, you know what, I think such and such and such and such position is doing a horrible job and we need to do a recall. Everybody's going to comment <laughs> on that, right? Everybody's going to have something negative to say. Then there's going to be the, 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 the personal attacks on social media and right. some of the threads. And it just yeah. gets uglier and uglier every day. And, I, I, you know, those are not the types of things I want to be a part of. Well, I'll tell you something. You are the first guest in 152 shows to rep- to reference Abraham Maslow and his his uh, his hierarchy theory. <laughs> That's some heavy stuff right there. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to have to tell Jeff Leduff that look, Cole just went deeper than I think you could get, bro. <laughs> so, uh, no, no, we both love Jeff. So if people want to know more about yeah. you and your candidacy, how can they find out well they can log on to uh, lamontcole.org uh there's a whole host of information there about me and my platform the work we've done over the last uh four years i'm extremely you know one of the things someone told me uh yesterday clay is that you don't do a good enough job of bragging about yourself uh cole because if you were to sit down and just talk to people about some of the things you've gotten accomplished while as a city council member, while as a principal, people would be amazed. Clay, let me say this to you. In District 7, do you know in the last four years since I served on the council, we there have been 417 new business opened in District 7? Wow, I did not know 417 wow. new businesses wow. have opened in District 7. That is astonishing, but most people don't know that. I right. don't talk about that a great deal because I focus on the work. Right. When we think about, you know, one of the meetings I had in 2017, I had a blight workshop. It kicked off the blight remediation process in this city. Some of the, the, the task force that were developed as a result of that meeting, it kicked it off. I mean, we decriminalized marijuana. We created a citywide needle exchange uh, program to make sure – uh, our citizens who are suffering from addiction are able to get treatment. We have a smoke-free Baton Rouge now. We sponsor that. We created guidelines for ITEP for the first time in the 80-year history of the program. We now receive 20% of the tax dollars when big businesses want to come here and receive tax breaks. We now receive 20%. We created that program. We have a free bicycle registration program that we created for all young people. You download the app. You can register your bicycle with the police department for free such that if something happens and your bike is stolen, we can track that. You know, we, we passed a 2.4 millage for the council. I mean, $2.4 million millage for the uh, council on aging. We passed a $900 million road tax for infrastructure here in the city of Baton Rouge. Right. I mean, we've done some great things. And I say we because I couldn't do it by myself. I had to have the cooperation of other city council members. It takes seven of us to approve an ordinance. And so all of the initiatives and the agenda items that I've sponsored, the ordinance of, that I've helped to get passed, I had to do it with the help of Democrats and Republicans. I may have sparked the idea, but it took all of us to make sure we were able to get it done. And so I'm extremely proud of the work we've done. But if you can log on to lamontcole.org, all of that information is there the work we are continuing to do. And, Claire, I want to say this to you. Everything, everything I promised I would do on the campaign trail in 2016, I accomplished it while serving in the first four years on the Metro Council. I just didn't do a good enough job of celebrating and saying that to the world because, again, I was focused on the work. We reopened the emergency room 
at Baton Rouge General Mid-City. I said we would do that. I said that we would bring emergency rooms back to the district when yeah. I was on the campaign trail, and that happened. We started a fresh food initiative where we were seeking to bring a grocery store to District 7. We started that. The Plank Road corridor master plan began uh, as a result of work we did behind the scenes. I said we were going to do that on the campaign. So everything I said I would do on the campaign trail in 2016, I made it happen over the four years that I've served in office. I don't know how many people can say that. <laughs> I know a lot of people get out here and they say what they're planning to do and what they want to do, and they believe they can do it alone. When I was on the campaign trail in 2016, what I said was, I won't be able to do it alone. It's going to take all of us, the 12 of us on that city council and all of you in this city, to help make these things happen. And I'm happy to report that everything I said we were going to accomplish, we did. And there's still a lot of work to do, a great deal of work to do. But I, will, I want to say to you, and I want to submit this, Clay, there's a great deal of work to do, but the only way we learn to do the work is by actually getting out there and doing the work. That's right. And so I want to stay in this position. I want to continue to do this work, and hopefully I'll see all of you out there at work. Well, listen, you, you always have a place here. You know that. I don't say that to everybody and certainly not every elected, but I know what you do for those kids at CSAL and what you do for the people in number seven. So you always have a spot here, brother, and thank you for taking some time because as we record this, you're back to business today in the school. So uh, quickly, before oh, yeah. we go, let me let, you, uh, let me ask you to give some thoughts on that. With with schools returning, some, some schools around the nation not having kids on premises, some of them doing it. What, where are you on it and how's it going well i think first and foremost i think virtual education has become uh a a current way that we provide education to students and we have to take advantage of it in a COVID environment i think as we look at what is coming from dc and of course the uh, cdc we have to be very concerned about COVID 19 and it's still existing here in our country and in, in our state and here in louisiana We've seen an uptick in cases, and we have to be very concerned about that and people who are contracting the virus and uh, who are suffering as a result of it. And we recognize that we have an elderly population with underlying conditions, and we have a community of people of color who have underlying conditions, and we have to be very concerned about that. So as we think about children returning to school and how do we provide the safest environment for them, we have to think about, uh, allowing children to go to school in a virtual setting, number one. I do recognize that there are some schools in our city, parish, and surrounding areas who have allowed children to return to the campus. And we're going to be very careful and observe that to see what happens if there are cases, uh, if there are outbreaks in mass at those schools where children have returned and how those schools choose to manage those situations. We're going to be very careful to monitor that. Here in our organization, we operate four schools in the city of Baton Rouge, and I have the pleasure of managing and supervising all of our schools. We decided to go virtual for the first month. Uh, that is in alignment with what the East Baton Parish school system is doing and most of the mm -hmm. charter schools are doing here in our city right. and allow our children to go to school virtually. We're going to look at how, uh, what impact that has on our workforce development in terms of uh parents who have children, uh, young children at home and needing supervision for them, and whether or not it has an impact, a huge impact on our workforce development if our families are able to manage that. And we have to think about all of those different aspects of uh, how education helps families 
and how a virtual education perhaps could put families in a situation where they have to think differently about supporting their own. And so for us, we thought it would be safer in considering not only our students, but our staff. We have some elderly members of our staff and exposing them uh, in a way that would put everyone at risk. And so we decided to go virtual to make sure um, to ensure that our children can still go to school. We've, we've provided a laptop for every child in all of four of our schools to right. make sure they have the necessary resources at home. Mm-hmm. We provided the ten dollar uh, internet for those homes that did not have internet at all. We paid for that, and so we're prepared to provide our students with instruction virtually in this environment. Okay. Um, then we're going to just monitor and see the impact it's having. Uh, we'd love to go back to school. Let me say that. We want to go back to school. We're ready for the children to return. We've not seen them since March 13th, so we're extremely uh, excited about them returning, but we want to do it, and we want it to be safe. Right. So I am uh, I am really excited to see what's going to happen with schools like U-Hire, Dunham, and some of the surrounding areas that have allowed the children to return to campus and who are putting uh, measures in place to uh check temperatures and be as safe as possible as it relates to children returning to see how that's going to work out over the first month of school. And clearly I can tell you if the reports and the results at those schools based on some of the things they are doing are positive, I'm sure we'll return to school sooner rather than later. But if those reports are negative, if we see massive outbreaks at those uh, schools and we see uh, people who uh, receive or get the virus and, uh, we see people who start begin to lose their lives as a result. I, I can assure you there's going to be a mad push to keep everything virtual until yeah. we get a handle on this COVID-19 yeah. or, in fact, a vaccine is created uh, for people so that we can see a decrease in the amount of cases we have in the country. Well, you know, everybody's hopefully praying for that. But uh, but again, I appreciate you taking the time. And the closer we get to November 3rd, I'll get you back again right before everything kicks off. I would love to come back. (laughs) Love to talk about the platform more and just talk about some of the work we've done, man. We've done some really good things that I'm I'm proud of. No matter what happens on November 3rd, I hope you vote for Lamont Cole in District 7. And those of you who don't live in District 7, tell all your friends who do. Vote (laughs) Lamont Cole, the name you know. Uh, But even if not, I'm still proud of the work we've done. I do think I'll be successful. I'm going to work to be successful. I just look forward to the opportunity to continue to serve the people of District 7 and the great city of Baton Rouge. Yeah, I think you're going to be fine. Uh, Lamont Cole represents District Number 7. Thank you, brother, for being on the show. Thank you, sir. The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before. Real stories. It was my first love. Real crimes. Real people. Real justice. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young exclusively at podcast225.com. Expecting mothers and fathers? Family Rose Healthy Start Community Action Network wants you to stay healthy as we deal with the reality of COVID-19. Here are five tips to help you and your unborn baby. Keep prenatal visits to ensure good health of you and your baby. If you need help, Family Road Healthy Start has case managers who provide one-on-one support and is enrolling expecting mothers and fathers now. Stay safe 
safe by washing your hands before or after any encounter. You, your family, and children should wear masks in public. Pregnant moms, stay home if possible. If not, limit all outings and keep any additional family members, such as your children, home. Stay informed by getting all current information on COVID-19 from trusted resources. And finally, stay prepared in the event you may develop symptoms or test positive for the coronavirus. For additional information, visit womans.org. To enroll in Family Road Healthy Start, call 201-8888 and give your baby and family a healthy start. We'll get through this together. Here we go. go. This is the Clay Young Show. Special thanks to Councilman Cole for coming into the podcast, speaking so candidly about that issue that's been going on and the thing about lawsuits and elections now. It's been happening not just here locally, but around the country for a long time and on both sides. It's it's I don't get it, but it's it's just another reason why people decide not to run for public office. And I said it in the. And the interview, and I said it in the open, I think, is about talking to people more during this cycle and, and having a few conversations. And again, that email address is clay at podcast225.com. Thank you guys for checking out the show. I appreciate you listening, downloading it, sharing it. I appreciate the feedback. I owe you all the effort every week and every time we do a show and we try to lay it in and make certain that We give you at least an informative or entertaining or mixture of both show. Sometimes you'll agree with what you hear. Sometimes you will disagree with it. But the effort is to never just mail it in. And I just I just wanted to say that to you. So thank you so much on social media at Clay underscore young BR on Instagram at Clay young BR on Twitter and just Clay young on Facebook already gave you the email address. You got information on Cole if you want to know more about him. He told you where you can do all of that, and there will be more politics mixed in with this as we go along. Got a little something special in mind for next week, talking about the people who operate restaurants in this post-COVID reality we live in. What would it be like to get perspective from someone who is right in the middle of it and then maybe even do the interview on location someplace? I think I know a guy who can make that happen. Yep. So thank you for being here for another edition of the Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.